Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and can be found on page 955 in the Pew Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be gentle and free from worry, Paul tells us. Be anxious about nothing. Set your mind instead on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, things that are pure and commendable and excellent in God's eyes. Well, this morning, we are kicking off a new sermon series called Good to Great in God's Eyes. What does it mean to strive for or to even achieve greatness in the eyes of our Lord? Now, if we want to know what excellence in the eyes of the world might look like, that's not so hard for us, right? We can look to any number of places That will tell us what does corporate greatness look like, financial greatness, military greatness, um, academic greatness, athletic greatness, um, appearance greatness, relationship greatness, any number of things. The world is ready to tell us whether we are doing it greatly or lousily, right? And unfortunately for us, sometimes the church can too get caught up in how the world measures greatness. Sometimes we get sucked right in along with that. But what does it truly mean to be great in the eyes of the Lord? Now, if Jesus was the full embodiment of God, which we believe that Jesus was, and God is indeed great, and Jesus tells us that if we want to be great, that we need to become less and least even, what are we to make of that? Some of us might wonder, is it wrong even, perhaps, to want to strive for greatness in God's eyes? Is that somehow at odds with the humility that we also know that God desires? And so we might wonder, maybe God is just looking for mediocrity. Maybe God just wants us to be mediocre Christians and mediocre disciples and a mediocre church and have mediocre worship. That doesn't sound right, though, does it? There's a passage in Revelation chapter 316, and the revelator uh, was conveying a message from God to the church in Laodicea, and it essentially says this, that God plans to vomit out lukewarm Christians. That's the word used in several translations. God wants to vomit out lukewarm Christians. You see, we know from Scripture that we aren't called to make disciples of some nations, but all. And we aren't called to love some neighbors, but to love all neighbors and even our enemies as God has loved us. 
which is indeed greatly. So then how do we understand this idea that to become, to be great means to become least, but we're not to be mediocre? How do we put this into practice? Especially when we do life in these mortal human bodies that unfortunately for us come with corruptible minds and corruptible hearts. What does it mean to be great in the eyes of our Lord? Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through 10 distinct practices and disciplines that can be found in Scripture and emulated by Christ that will help us to hopefully begin to see what greatness in the eyes of our Lord looks like and doesn't look like. And today we're specifically going to be talking about the discipline of thinking great thoughts. Now, I imagine many of you can tell me what you had for breakfast or dinner last night or maybe even lunch yesterday. We know what we're putting into our body. But do we give as much thought as to what we're putting into our minds? What are we allowing to take up residence there? How did it get there? Did it get there intentionally? And should it be there at all? How can we begin to monitor whether or not our thoughts are great? Now, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, in chapter 3, which is one chapter before the passage we just heard read in chapter 4, chapter 4 is be anxious about nothing, um, be anxious about nothing, trust in God, put your minds to these things. One chapter before that in 3, Paul is talking about what it means to know God. And he tells the church in Philippi that they are to be of one mind and that their mind is to be set on heavenly, not earthly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. That seems so simple, right? So nice, like something you would hear in church. But what does that really mean? And how do we go about doing that? How do we know if our minds are actually set on heavenly things? Now, it seems that Paul did understand that the human mind would set itself to something. And that what the mind was set to would have implications for behaviors and for how we live out our lives. Paul seemed to understand that. For example, each and every day, lunchtime will roll around for every single one of us, right? And as lunchtime is rolling around, we start to get that little rumble in our stomach, and that rumble starts to tell our mind that we're hungry. And in that little dance that's going on between your belly and your brain, here's how my brain will play out. As soon as I start to feel hungry, I can either set my mind to that big protein-packed, multicolored salad that I packed, that I know has all of the nutrients in it that I need and will give me the right kind of energy to get through the rest of the day. I can set my mind to that. Or I can set my mind to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And I can convince myself that Chick-fil-A is not fast food. It's not fast food. It's healthy. Come on, it's Chick-fil-A. And I can start thinking about, well, hey, if I leave now, I can even, I can get there before breakfast. And breakfast is definitely healthier than lunch. And so I can do that. Or, you know, and my mind will start doing all of these things. But the truth is that whatever gains hold of my thoughts will wind up in my belly. That is how our thoughts work. Our thoughts lead to actions and our actions lead to patterns and our patterns lead to kind of like how our character 
And, and our character then begins to tell us who it thinks we are. And the world will tell us who it thinks we are. Not God. You know, God, God sees us for who God sees us for at all times. But if we peel back these character traits that we have or these patterns that we have and these behaviors that we have, most of the time that we will, we will find out that whether conscious or unconscious, that our thoughts are in the driver's seat. Have you recently stopped to realize how powerful and shaping your own thoughts are? Have you given it any thought recently? Paul understood that this was important. He mentions our hearts and our minds several times in, in Philippians 3 and 4 alone. So I wonder this morning, what has captivated your thoughts? What are you spending your time thinking about? Where does your mind go when you're happy, when you're excited, when you're celebratory, when you're sad, when you're anxious, when you're lonely, when you're stressed? What thoughts are you meditating on? And do those thoughts glorify God? Are they great thoughts? What we allow to occupy our mind and to take up residence there will not only determine our, our, our behavioral patterns, but it sometimes even determines who we fail to become and what we fail to do. So I want to share a little story with you from my own life just to convey um, how powerful our thoughts can be and also how we are able to, through Scripture, harness them and check them against God's Word. And this will hopefully help us realize, you know, am I having great thoughts? Are these thoughts great in the eyes of our Lord? Or are they not? So um, some of you know our family. We have five children. Uh, three of our children joined our family via adoption. Two joined the old-fashioned way. But there was a period of time several years ago where our family grew very quickly. We grew from zero to four children in just over four years. And that was as crazy and as stressful as you would imagine it to be. And that is before even realizing that some of our members of our household didn't speak the same language, didn't have the same culture, don't eat the same food. Um, some of the members of our house were dealing with the trauma and reality of having to leave everything they knew behind. And oh, by the way, I was in the middle of a big vocational shift at Wesley Theological Seminary. To say that we were tired would have been an extreme understatement. And so it came as a complete shock to both my husband and I, when not only 12 months after we went from zero to four, that we felt God calling us back again. This was completely illogical. If you would have asked anyone if they thought this was crazy, they would have said yes to include our family. It didn't make sense. We were tired. We were worn out. We didn't have the resources. And yet God was nagging in our minds and our hearts. And so my husband, Fred, and I, we developed a checks and balances process for each other to say, hey, listen, we're going to move through this. And if you feel uneasy or uncertain about any of this, you just say so when we stop. And if I feel uneasy or uncertain, we just say so when we stop. And that is it. But as we move through this process, as illogical as it was, we never felt uncertain. We had the peace of God that transcends all understanding because there was no rational reason that we, this thought would have even been in our mind. God's peace was there. And God's peace was with me all the way up until 
the Dulles airport. And then I got there. And all of a sudden, my own thoughts re-entered my mind. And my own thoughts were not God's thoughts. My own thoughts um, were something like this. You can't do this. You're crazy. You're in over your head. There is no way you are going to be able to do this. You are going to fail. Turn around and run right now. And I promise you that if I was not buckled into an airplane somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, my body would have convinced me to run away. That is how panicked I felt in this moment. And this panic wasn't, it wasn't illogical actually, it wasn't irrational, there were, there were reasons for it, but they were my reasons and the world's reasons, not God's. And so, for that 14 hours, a 14 hour flight, I forget. Anyway. It was a long flight. That whole flight, I just worried myself sick, to the point where we landed in Addis Ababa, we met with the agency representatives, and I told them what I was thinking. I was like, listen, I, I just, I'm having some major doubts. Here's my reasons. I don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't feel equipped. I don't think I'm going to go to that court appointment tomorrow. And then that panic that I was feeling transferred into their eyes. And they looked and they said, okay, why don't you go to the guest house for a little bit? Why don't you just go spend, spend some time praying? We'll send the social worker over. We'll send the counselor over. But why don't you go take some time and pray? So I said, okay. Now, I don't know what your worried voice sounds like in your head or your anxious thoughts, but my worried thoughts always have the voice of Whoopi Goldberg from the movie Ghost. Like, that is what it says. That is what my mind was saying the whole time. And that's all I could hear. And I can actually hear it in that voice and in her voice. And um, somewhere in that time of prayer, we met with the counselor, met with the social worker, and in that community through prayer and through God intervening, my Whoopi Goldberg voice began to settle down and God's voice began to gain. I began to regain clarity on God's voice in my mind. So I'd like you to open your pew Bibles, if you can, to page 955. Because I want to walk through each of those things that Paul asks us to set our minds to As I illustrate for you how I walked this situation out, checking my own thoughts against God's thoughts. How do I know that I'm thinking great thoughts or how do, how do I, how do I check that? And I want to invite you as I walk through this scenario to think about your own thought life. Think about how you process thoughts. Where does your mind go to? And then ask yourself where you're going to check and balance because this list that Paul gives the church in Philippi is an excellent list for us to gauge our thoughts. Paul says first to fix our minds on things that are true. What do you know to be true about God? What is unfailing? What is unshakable? What is eternal? What do you know to be true? Well, I knew that God's perfect and unfailing love was true. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. I knew that God's unfailing love was perfect. No matter what situation we would find ourselves in, God's love would be there. I also knew that God's word was true. John 17, 17 says, Your word is truth. And so if God's word is true, and Philippians 4, 4 through 6 says, be anxious about nothing, then I knew that my worry and my anxiety was not true. Was it real? 
Yes, anxiety is very real. Was it true to God's word? No, it wasn't. Fix our minds on things that are true. Second, fix our mind on things that are honorable. When you are going through your thought life, you can ask yourself this. Do my thoughts have dignity in the eyes of God? Do my thoughts dignify God? In my case, the question was, what would honor God and God's will versus what would honor my fear? What would honor my fear? Honoring my fear was not honorable to God in this case. Fix your thoughts on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just. See, I don't think that adoption is justice. Adoption isn't justice because justice would be eradicating the reasons why adoption exists in the first place. Adoption would be eradicating the causes behind why children are either placed for adoption or separated or their parents are are no longer living. That would be justice. See, adoption is not any of that. But what is just is the perfect love of God and neighbor. Jesus was just. Jesus demonstrated the perfect love of God and neighbor when he submitted fully to God's will above his own and anything else. So what was just was full and perfect love. And scripture also tells us that there is no fear in love. And so if there's no fear in love and what I was experiencing was my own fear, then I was not working towards justice or great thoughts. Also, fix your mind on things that are pure. Well, this one was really easy for me, actually, because there is a, there's a verse in the adoption community um, that we know inside and out, and it's James 1.27, and it says that religion that is pure and undefiled in the sight of God our Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And this was a no-brainer for me because the situation that we were walking into was both orphan and widow care. It was not one or the other. It was both So fix our mind on things that are pure. Fix our mind on things that are pleasing. How do we know that our thoughts are pleasing? Do your thoughts call forth kingdom love? Do your thoughts call forth the kingdom? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. So that you may discern the will of God. Paul is saying if we want to discern the will of God, we need to be willing to be transformed in our minds because this is where the battle often is for everything else. Are your thoughts pleasing? Are your thoughts commendable? In other words, are we fixing our mind on earthly or heavenly things? Are we fixing our mind on things that are decaying and will go away? Or things that are eternally with us. Like love and God's relationship and God's promises. All true, all eternal. Are we fixing ourselves on commendable things? Fixing our thoughts. And finally, are we fixing our thoughts on what is excellent? Now this one is tricky. Because we could say excellent by whose standard? Excellent according to who? Being excellent in God's eyes might not appeal to many of us, because of what it calls forth from us. Jesus himself, in the Gospel of Mark, verses 10, chapter 10, verse 42 and 43, 
is talking to the disciples and he is reminding them that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them like tyrants. Those who the Gentiles call Lord are tyrants. But Jesus says, it is not so among you. And then he goes on to say, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must become slave to all. So here's the checker. When you are in your thought life, are your thoughts taking to you, you to places where you are lording over other people? Are your thoughts taking you to places where you're up here and like everyone else is down there and it's like, you know, that's how you're operating? Or are your thoughts taking to you places where you're coming underneath and you're acting as a servant and you are willing to subject yourself to the will of God in the role of a servant? That's how we know that our thoughts are excellent. They're going to go one way or the other. And we're human. So more often than not, you can guess which direction they're going to go. How are we thinking excellent thoughts? We check ourselves against these things. If I would have followed my own thoughts, my life wouldn't be what it is now. And that would have been a great shame for me, for, our, for, for, for any number of reasons. God continues to grow and build on that one yes. Sometimes we don't even know when we think we're saying yes to this. God shows us what we said yes to. And it's huge and it's amazing and it's all inspiring and it's scary. Sometimes it's very scary. Sometimes fear is real. Anxiety is real. But that doesn't mean that God's love is any less perfect or God won't be there with us through it. So what about you and your thought life? What thoughts consume you? Are your thoughts true to God's word? Are they leading you towards greatness in God's eyes? That list from Paul chapter, from Philippians chapter four is a great benchmark for us to check our thoughts, to let us know are our thoughts great. But of course that list is found in scripture itself. So another way we can make sure we're thinking great thoughts is to, to develop a daily pattern of scripture reading and meditation to allow God's word to permeate our minds and our hearts so that, so that it's, it, it is part of us. And when these anxious thoughts pop in and they will, we're able to check them against what we know is true. So reading the Bible and meditating on it and allowing it to permeate us is important if we want to be able to think great thoughts. Second, reading great books is also important if we want to be able to think great thoughts. Yes, like actual books. Does anyone remember books? Like, you know, books, books. doesn't matter if your books are paper, if your books are digital, if it's an audio book. It doesn't matter. But it is important to read great books. I believe it's becoming more important to be really intentional about what we are putting into our brains. And here's the reason. If you're anything like me, you'll spend some part of any given day scrolling through randomness, right? Like I know what you ate for lunch. I know what your dog's name is. I know you where you went on vacation. I know a bunch of things. I'm scrolling and then I'm pinging on different articles and I'm reading through different things. And all of us right now, each and every one of us is able to be manipulated by what we're putting into our minds. So we're reading all of these things at the end of, at the end of the year, the amount of words that we read through mindless pinging and scrolling likely amounts to several dozen, if not a hundred or more books. 
That's how many words we're reading. But in terms of content, what we're reading could add up to absolutely nothing. Worse, it could undermine and deconstruct things that God had intended to be there. So it is very important that we are intentional about what we are reading and what we are feeding our minds because what we feed our minds has implications for our behaviors and the rest of our life. We know that Warren Buffett reads 500 pages per day. We know that Bill Gates reads 50 books a year. We know that Mark Cuban sets aside three hours every single day to read. That might sound extreme. Maybe it is. (laughs) But... The point is that reading is important. You know, the makers of a lot of the technology that we use don't actually use this technology themselves, and they don't allow their children to use it. But being intentional about what we're putting in has implications. And yet a recent survey conducted by the National Endowment for the Arts found that only 43% of Americans read when it's not required by work or school. That's a three-decade low, but it doesn't tell the whole story. 43% are reading books, but we are at an all-time high for content consumption. So we are reading, and we're taking stuff in, but we're just not being as intentional as we were about what we're putting into our minds. Now, just we really believe, Pastor Rob and I believe, that reading great books is second to reading the Bible as a discipline for developing great thoughts. And so this past week, we put together a reading list for you all. You can find this on our website under the resources tab. Um, and you can also, there's some hard copies out there at the connection desk. If you do decide to buy any of the books on here through the resource tab, it's linked actually through Amazon in some sort of a way that, that, that works for the church in, in a positive transactional way. Yes, Pat? Yeah. No. So anyway, I think that, I think it's like some sort of charity thing. Um, that, that's actually a secondary point. So this book, this uh, book list here, we've broken the books into three categories. The first is spiritual and theological development. The second is leadership. And the third is leisure. So my challenge to you is that you pick one book from each of these categories. And I'm not going to give you a timeline. I'm not going to tell you I read it in, in this amount of time. This isn't like school in that way. But I do invite you to read the books. And then send Pastor Rob a message back with a few sentences, maybe a couple paragraphs, you know, nothing major, about what, what, you, what you liked about the book. Where did it speak to you? Where did you learn something new? Where did it challenge you? Where did you read something that eh, maybe you're just not sure about? From one of the three categories. All of the books listed on here have shaped our own lives in some way. Our thought processes, our theological development, our spiritual development, our leadership. Every book on here we've, we have read um, and, and we would recommend. So um, I challenge you to do that. And I challenge you to give each book that you do choose at least four chapters before you decide no. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a little while to get going. But after four chapters, if it's not speaking to you, that's okay. Move on. So reading good books. We know that that's important. If we want to think great thoughts, we need to let the word of God permeate in our minds and our hearts. We need to read great books. There is one final caveat I want to share before we wrap up, and that is that if you or a loved one are living with a mental illness or a trauma or a mental condition that interferes with your thought life, that interferes with how you process information, that that is in no way, shape, or form a sign of spiritual weakness or lack of discipline at all. Sometimes our brains, our brains are very powerful, and sometimes they do things that there's no amount of discipline 
that we're going to be able to um, that we're going to be able to kind of counteract without some help. And so God, of course, works through our doctors and our therapists and our medical teams um, as well. And sometimes the very best thought that we can have, the most excellent thought that we can have is, hey, I think I need some help and I got to go talk to someone. Sometimes that is the most excellent thought that we can have. And if you are thinking things, um, you know, we're your pastoral team. There's no thought that that is off off limits. You know, we're happy to, to sit with you, to meet with you, to listen, to process and to kind of, you know, help direct in any one way. Or another. Um, you're not alone in the church. That's why we're here. We need each other. The truth is that God loves each and every one of us so greatly, so perfectly. God does not want us to settle for a mediocre faith. God doesn't want us to be mediocre Christians. God desires excellence for us and has created us for excellence in God's eyes. And two of the ways that we can do that are making sure that our thoughts are glorifying God, that they're in line with Scripture, and that what we are feeding our brain is healthy for our minds, our bodies, our spirits, and our faith life. Would you join me in prayer? Holy and loving God, God, we thank you for creating us and making us in these complex human bodies God, we thank you for the relationships that you've given us, God. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And we thank you for walking with us in every way that we need you. God, I pray that you continue to guide us with your will, to direct our thoughts to things that glorify you, and to help us to walk with one another as you call us, Lord, in relationship. Because we know, Lord, that you don't desire for us to go through this life alone. We thank you and we give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.